right, we're back with round two. This is the Loomer Roundtable uh, special King Gizzard episode where we each picked a few albums to to talk about. I think we're going to go through um, almost every album that they've put out. So on the pod today, we've got Nikki, Brady, Jason, John, and Henry, and myself. So welcome, everybody to part two yay Back let's to the get song. into it <laughs> i feel like it's been so long since i've seen you all since part one i know part one was crazy <laughs> part one was crazy <laughs> no now it's stage two new albums have been released in the time we started recording <laughs> <laughs> you're busy dudes man yeah they work hard prolific for sure all right, well, well, we'll just get right into it then. Who's doing microtonal banana? It was Connor, but he's that, not on. Oh, he's not here. You can go ahead and say what you want about it. Oh, <laughs> fuck me. Well, somebody's got to talk about this record. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have some words. They love gimmicks. These boys love gimmicks, okay? Mm-hmm. And the next album, right? So Nonagon comes out, a lot of attention. People are like, oh, man, I can't wait for more music, right? And they're like, yeah, the next record is going to have microtones. People are like, what the fuck is that? What's microtone music? Most people don't have any listening outside of, you know, like 12 tone equal temperament. Uh, Western scales. Right. Um, and I think they knew that. I very, very, very much like the ad- adventurousness on this record. The fact that they, they step outside of their comfort zone. Um my understanding of how this came to be is Stu McKenzie got into, I think, like Turkish music, things that use like the macombs rather than like 12 tone scales. It's just a little bit different of like a system for organizing tones. And sometimes you use tones that are like in between or half steps or quarter tones, if you will, or microtones if you want to get more specific because like the f- music is just fractions and things don't always divide evenly. Um, and my understanding is that everyone in the band got a budget and they just went and like got like some cheap guitars and they just added frets on certain intervals. So every once in a while, like you'd have an additional fret between two frets so that you could play quarter tones on it. And then they just wrote a bunch of music uh, with modified instruments to see how it would come out. And they got, that's how they got this record. And it's real cool. And I think they knew they were asking a lot, right? Most people aren't listening to like, you know, like gamelan music from Indonesia that's got quarter tones in it. You know, like they're not, you know, this could, you have a lot of potential. They took some risk with this one. Though. This can be very grating on the ear. And I think that they knew, okay, we got we to gotta give something, we got to ease people into this, right? We're asking a lot. We got to give, we got to give people something to chew on here that's, not too complicated that's long that's using this concept to be giving people just enough room to sort of you know get their ear to learn the sound of these microtones so that when the record comes out that you know they don't think it's like garish and out of tune and that song that they chose to do that is called rattlesnake and it's a it's a banger (laughs) absolute banger I think it's like the dictionary definition of a banger. (laughs) 
no this doubt. This is where, as, as I've uncovered, that all of you got exposed to this band because this song Rattlesnake came out as a single, and I was like, this shit rocks. This shit rocks. It's like eight minutes long. All they do is say fucking rattlesnake, rattles, <laughs> weed, rattlesnake. Yeah. That's all I remember. <laughs> like, and it's out of tune. Play, every like collaborative party playlist. <laughs> I on it. I would love for them to be on stage and be like, if you know the lyrics, sing along, you know, <laughs> and then just like rattle, snake, rattle. This song's all groove. Lyrics don't matter in this one, mm-hmm. right? It's all groove. Rattlesnake, it's very straightforward. It's got to be straightforward, though. That's the thing, is you're like, oh, this is just a stupid fucking song about a rattlesnake he's a rattlesnake it it rattles him you know it's got that third vert it's got that like bridge or whatever it is towards the end in it though where he changes up you know what i'm talking about where he's talking about a serpent or whatever like a rattlesnake i'm crazy yeah like a rattlesnake (laughs) (laughs) right it's a stupid song i mean i think at some i forget what it is i tried to see if i could find it and I can't, I haven't been able to find it since I first read it. They played at some festival, like Laneway or somewhere, one of the festivals down in Australia, when this was a single, and they played this for a festival crowd, and someone like wrote like a write-up of the festival, and they just were talking about like five bands that they saw or something, and they mentioned that they saw King Gizzard, and they played this song, Rattlesnake, and they're like, I don't know what the fuck was going on, but like we were in the sun, and it was getting rowdy, and just pounding beers, and like there's nothing I enjoyed more than just this fucking rattlesnake song. <laughs> that's so good. I think and it for works me, well. that's just <clears throat> that's the fuck that's the energy of rattlesnake, mm-hmm. right? Rattlesnake's no musical masterpiece, right? But if it's loud, and if you're maybe a few beverages in, fucking rattlesnake, man. Crank it loud. Put on the music but it's also video. Pra- but, it, but it's also pragmatic. Oh, the fuck it. Don't even get me started on the Looks like it was <laughs> created 17 years prior to its actual filming. It's a great. Yeah, they it's got some 3D animation from Jason Galea in it. That music video does. That's a cool one. Uh, it's, a, it's a good music video. But I think, I think first and foremost, that, that song was pragmatic, right? It doesn't. It's so fucking simple. But I think it gets the ear used to those quarter tones. And I think that made the rest of the record viable. And shit, I mean, let's talk about the, the rest of the record. Nikki Brady, uh, Jason, what, what jumps out to you? Tell me about your thoughts on the microtonal record. Dude, Nuclear Fusion is probably honestly my favorite off this album. I don't know, it's just super catchy. Like, it's a good one. Yeah. Mine's a uh, Billabong Valley. Yeah, yeah. Is that Billabong like the surfwear? Is that what they actually supposed to be about? Like the clothing brand? That's a good Amber question. The Ambrose uh, one. I used to rock Billabong be. back in middle school. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah the Ambrose one. When I was a poser. Um, I could see you rocking some Billabong. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> Shoplifting from Walgreens in a little <laughs> shirt. North Grand Mall, bro. <laughs> I'm probably a bill of Almost man in Abercrombie and Fitch. <laughs> Almost man in Abercrombie. Oh, yeah. 
what were you saying thank you i think i just cut you off oh no you're good that's the hard thing about video calls um i i'm probably the long valley girl myself yeah, yeah admittedly i haven't spent as much time with this album as i probably should have to have a measured conversation on it um, yeah we literally have said, it on vinyl but we haven't like i uh listened to <clears throat> much of it i uh i can agree with the idea that they uh they opened up the world of microtones to their audience um yes and then they, they did never some... did it again and then it oh, just no, no. It, oh, came back. <laughs> it comes back yeah what do you mean uh yeah we'll get there in another two and a half hours um <laughs> <laughs> billabong valley though i i just to speak a little bit on that song in particular i really love the songs that are like primarily driven uh by ambrose vocally um i never know what the fuck it's about but it's always fun um and this one like it sounds dark brooding dramatic uh almost like a little little hair of a western flavor to it you know you know about ambrose's other band don't you yeah murlocs oh thank goodness i was gonna say damn i have some great news (laughs) Yeah, definitely. This this track has the most eyes like the sky flavor of anything that they did since then, right? It's very much got that. I don't want to say high and lonesome sound because that's not what it is, but yeah, I know I know exactly what you're saying. Probably helps that he's saying singing about outlaws on the run. It really sells the idea <laughs> faster than a stolen gun. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big sleep drifter guy. I think I think that's. That's the real standout of this record for me. Sleep Drifter. He's drifting in and out of sleep. <laughs> what more right. could be said? I also not a lyric song. <laughs> I think I think it ha- I think it makes the best use of the the sort of sound of playing in the macombs, right? As this sort of quarter tonal scale. Right. I think it's exactly as was said, right? Uh, just any of the sort of non-Western music, these sort of outside scales, if you will, introducing that to a wider audience is a very cool thing to do. And I think even if they, even if he did rip something one for one, just turning people on to sort of like very good examples of music in a different sound, I, I think is virtuous inherently. I love this fucking band, man. <laughs> it's a good band. That's a good band. But, uh, I, I, don't, I honestly don't even know where to start for Murder of the Universe. <laughs> yeah, we got to, what's the, or what's the next 2017? Murder of the it Universe. Is murder is, the universe. is it really? <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, dude. This is a, when I live in Kansas City, this is front to backer for me, dude. Wake up, track one, get to work, maybe end it like track nine, finish it all the way home. Altered dude. beast going into work. Yeah, yeah dude. I don't know. I try to look up, like, there's not very many interviews. Like, they haven't really talked about the album very much. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm, I love D&D, like, role-playing games and shit. So, like, I think the narration is super sick. Um, like, I'm, I'm always, like, into, like, the climactic, like, movies, music, whatever it be, games, board games, video games. Like, I just love the climactic shit, so... Like the like the second half, when like Lord this of Lightning comes super hard. Record. Oh, for this sure, is a very for sure. Yeah. 
like like when Lord of Lightning comes on, I imagine like I'm a fucking like wizard with like a staff and shield, and then it's like Lord of Lightning shifts his gaze, and I'm like a fucking like wizard and it's just staring the, down the, at me. The, it's the, the, the subsequent track being called Balrog give you that idea? Balrog, yeah, like you're like some <laughs> swamp, like like fucking Dark Souls like swamp, and some Balrog you, comes after I, you. I'm picking up what you're putting down. I totally agree that this band has like tabletop RPG vibes. Yeah, right? for it's sure. very present, even as early as Mind Fuzz. Um, very like 80s fantasy movie. Like I think of Willow when I listen yeah. to this album, like the stop motion kind of animation for all the um, yes. <laughs> for all the villains. Yeah. Sick reference. That is sick. <laughs> I love that movie. Shout out Willow. They should make yeah, they should do like a claymation movie just based off this album or something. Yes. <laughs> Jason, maybe maybe you know this already, but um, Ambrose's other band that will tour and open for King Gizzard sometimes called the Murlocs. My understanding is that a Murloc is a D&D uh, creature. Oh, no shit. From the, from the, the beast. What'd you say, Brady? Uh, Warcraft, unless they oh, ripped Warcraft. it from D&D. Is it? I thought Murloc was, was Warcraft. It's, it's, ta- it's a tabletop creature. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I, uh, I think the, I think the vibe is is perhaps intended. Yeah, it's it's closely yeah. related to the Murloc the is tabletop. a bipedal, amphibious, semi-intelligent, aggressive race in D and D five e. So they look like oh, frogs. Let's go. No Unless shit. <laughs> that might not be sick. That that might just be like somebody making a homebrew and it's online, but just googling Murloc. No, those are banned. Haven't you heard? i don't know i feel like i was on like reddit like before we even did this album review and um someone was like oh it's about like being a vegetarian because like in in the very beginning in murder the universe yeah because like the whole thing is like you know this creature's looking at you looking at you he's like alter me alter me all this shit and it's like in the narrator like talks about like oh I'll eat you up like a these guys are veg aren't they pork. yeah I think and I think that's kind of where they're getting at and then like in the end Hantayumi the fucking robot like uses a soy munt machine a soy protein <laughs> munt machine like turns them into like Jesus. this futuristic like fucking in vitro human thing and then and then he's just like and then you just like make him puke and then like he goes vomit oven vomit coffee and they just like, just like making you like puke up your own like carnivorous fucking shit in the end it's like really I, interesting if you think about it like that i think i heard Stu was just like yeah i wanted to write an album about vomit so <laughs> or, or it could be simple as that <laughs> i don't know i don't know um, that's how i like to interpret it yeah <laughs> i think i think i got a bird's eye view this record real quick i think yeah. there's three distinct acts in this room mm-hmm. right you've got all the you've got all the altered beast stuff at the front altered beast alter me altered beast alter me mm-hmm. not a lot going on uh i've i don't i don't know if any of you have particularly fought strong feelings about these songs but uh even when this came out this first set for me i'm like all right i've, I've heard on and gone i don't i don't need another <laughs> these do it for me what was that Oh, did you ask me a question? 
Yeah, what do you what do you what do you think, of, what do you think of Altered Beast One, Altered Beast Two, Altered Beast Three? Altered I don't know because like Altered Beast Two, like just listening to me is like I want to like eat your brains and shit. Like I imagine it has to do with like like it's I don't know because he kind of goes into the perspective as the Altered Beast, and then all of a sudden it goes to the perspective of him encountering the Altered Beast, like as if third person. So it's. It's kind of confusing, but like, I think he always means in the point of like the creature wanting to eat like the the prey. That's how I see it. As far as the uh, audio experience is concerned, I can agree that it it's probably a little too close to Nonagon to not feel novel. Uh, that said, mm-hmm. I think just the 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 motif that it returns to is the altered beast. Uh, I mean. It's much more metal adjacent than Nonagon was. Yeah, for sure. It oh. feels kind of like a proto, like infest the rat's nest. I think it kind of leads yes. there a little bit more than the rest of the album. This, this, I, I agree, is maybe the first time that you sort of get a sense. I mean, they're they've kind of been a heavier band. I think maybe with Nonagon, you could definitely say they're a heavy band. Uh, but. This, right, I think is a, is another big step in that direction where it sounds very remarkably like, oh yeah, these are these are riffs, right? This band, this band is is chugging. And I, I think they have like the biggest fucking troll in this album, like the starting of disc two when it says some context, and then it's just like, ding, ding, ding. It's just a riff, like they don't explain anything. It's just like some context. That's what you need to know for the road ahead. It's just like a crow like chirping, and it's just like a guitar just ripping up, ripping. It's more nonagon. It's more Nonagon. They're yeah. saying, hey, man, part two, part two of this record. Here's some part more Nonagon. Exactly. My understanding is that they, they can weave those in and around the, the Nonagon songs when they play it live. I mean, it quite literally is just more Nonagon. They said, yeah, yeah, here's a pe- here's appendix. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they even literally say Nonagon in one of the songs. I don't remember which one. Like, one of the parts is like, Nonagon, Nonagon, oh, yeah. Nonagon. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, I can't remember right. which one that is. It's that it's that ending bit off Road Train being brought back. Um, the the piece for the piece for this record, I think we might have some agreement on this. That really, I think, carries the most identity and sort of. Uh, I can't pick a nauseous enough word. Is the last part, the whole text to speech on Tayumi universe becomes vomit <laughs> yeah it's a it's a little repulsive to to read along while listening to it it's goofier than shit but it kind of rocks <laughs> yeah it's quite the, uh, i guess you could that's probably the best summation of this band and phrase that you're gonna get <laughs> i fucking love digital black though yeah that one's heavy it just goes so hard so, Han Tayumi is essentially the robot on Fishing for Fishies, correct? He's a uh, yeah. He come, the text to speech comes back. I think I think some weirdos online figured out the exact text to speech being used to generate the voice for the record. No the way. Character Han Tayumi has been figured out. It's called like a Wilson or I'm not gonna pull it's it. It's like up, old Windows. Thing. If you Google it, somebody figured it out. I think it, it's not AOL. It's like some old text to speech thing. That's sick. And they slow, I think they slow it down like some percentages. I don't know. 
Yeah. Yeah, probably not an album I would recommend for like first time listeners. Yeah, probably not. Especially because like if you get into it, then you're gonna be like, what? What is Nonagon Infinity? And I, then I think, you're gonna have to go I back and listen to that. This one kind of wraps up the whole right. I think you can look at it as a trilogy of records. I think Mind Fuzz and then uh, Nonagon and then this one. Right, you have the the sort of spiny looking tower as your album art, and it just kind of you know continues to get mm-hmm. more and more degraded across the records you know across these three album covers right i think that's a, a nice narrative through line i think this is the thing that really made quote-unquote Gizverse a big thing mm-hmm. is this record uh what do you guys think yeah. the overlying theme is for those that have like listened to this run back i don't know dude but it, it's fucking rock and roll <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, you, you can just leave it at that most good stuff, you can just leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the Hantayumi stuff is completely separate from a lot of this album. Yeah. <laughs> like, the first, the first bit about Ultra Beast and Balrog, like, feels like you said very D&D to me, and then it skips forward into the future, and it kind of loses the <laughs> timeline there. They feel like very separate things. They do. That could have almost been a separate album. Yeah. Like, yeah. Vomit of the universe. Vomit of the universe. <laughs> Vomit coffin. <laughs> Vomit rattlesnake. <laughs> um, I, I think I think one of the three lines for this band, and you see it particularly emerge on this record, is I think you kind of get one part sort of this high fantasy kind of ideas, right? I mean, you've got like wizards and balrogs and shit, right? <laughs> And then the sort of other maybe through line that you see come and mingle with this that I think maybe makes some of the narrative and thematic identity of this band is the sort of sci-fi edge, right? There's kind of a, um, you know, very thing going on where I think they play with a lot of ideas of like biomechanic, you know, mechanism with like, oh, this altered beast and it's altering me and I'm the altered beast, but I'm encountering it. Right, and all this stuff about like a, like a robot becoming sentient and becoming this organic mass of like you know like my, my like you know I become power lines and it's it rings of like some very um like what's that what's that short story it's really fucked up the one about uh, like I have no mouth and I must scream or whatever like to me that that short story and the sort of last part of this record are occupy a very similar space mm. it like triggers your fight or flight but in a good way yeah i uh know of the story but i never read it my uh my exposure to it actually is the uh meme edit of the book cover to say i have no ass and i must shit <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. I just had a thought, like, while you guys were talking about this in general, like, do you think that this album feels kind of Iron Maiden-y, just in, like, the themes that they cover? Iron Maiden gets a little bit fantasy sometimes, but I don't know what you guys think. That was just a passing thought. There's a thing with that. I think there being fantasy maybe more on the side that, like, I think prog bands get kind of fantasy-ish. Sure. But I find I find this much less grating for some reason. 
I don't know if any of you. I don't know if any of you can for the band Rush. If you can mm. tolerate Rush at all, I can't fucking stand that band. My dad is a huge Rush fan, but <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't dabbled myself. <laughs> like when that, like when that dude's singing about like all oh, the elves between the trees. I just, I can't. I can't with that fucking music, man. But for Yo, some when reason, did, when did Getty get on this call? <laughs> <sighs> But for some reason, I think I don't know if it's it's I don't know if this is ju- just ironically removed enough. Where I mean, it's like the fucker's singing about a Balrog, right? I don't know if it's if there's enough tongue in cheek, and that's what makes it palatable to me. But that's what, that's mm-hmm. a me problem. That's not anything objective about this band. I don't hear any heavier stuff in this one thematically yet. I hear it musically, but I don't hear it thematically. Yeah, that's more funny than is like thematically, it feels a little bit inspired by some of their stuff, but. Yeah, like I said, I was just like, what do you But think? I don't listen to a lot of heavy music, to be fair. <laughs> so this could also just be me lacking. What do, so what do you find similar? Really just like the themes that they're going through in this. Like they have the high fantasy. Um, in others of their works, they talk about, like we've talked about, like environmental concerns. I think that Iron Maiden really talks about war, warfare. Um I don't know I see somewhat of a link there and I could see them listening to a lot of Iron Maiden um particularly around their Infested Rats Nest era oh, but yeah. but yeah I wasn't sure like maybe that does apply here maybe it doesn't I'm picking up what you're putting down no you maybe. might be onto something I think there's a couple Iron Maiden songs that come to mind that give me that feel like fear of the dark yeah and just they got some lyrical stuff in there I'm picking up what you're putting down. I'm glad I'm not crazy. <laughs> the next one chronologically is sketches of Brunswick East, but I don't think we, we really don't have time to go through every single album. So the next one that we, that Here, I'll, we I'll had this someone... one quick. This record's bad. It's not more good. like skip. <laughs> okay, it's got some, skip. it's got some good bass parts, but I don't, I, do I don't care for anything though. else about it. Okay. Um, and then Henry picked Polygon and Wanna Land to talk about. So do you want to give Fuck us a yeah. quick a quick spiel on that one, Henry? Yeah. Um, well, speaking of good bass, um, this oh, album yeah. is so full of it. It's more of like a prog. There's some like weird stoner metal kind of up in this. Um, still kind of following some of that psych rock feel of flying microtonal banana and I'm in your mind fuzz type thing, but definitely a lot more proggy. Um, and Nikki, I'm glad you touched on this and brought us onto this um, point, but like heavy 80s fantasy vibes here. Like when I hear Crumbling Castle or like yeah. Deserted Dunes, Welcome Weary Feet, like it's just got that like feel of like, um, specifically this album made me think of like the Choose Your Own Adventure books. I don't know if anyone read those as a kid, but there's one of those books I read all the time growing up, which is like, there's like these seven towers and you have to choose which one to go in. There's like a spider tower. There's the snake tower. And anyways, just choose your own adventure book. But this album is kind of This sounds like the Goosebumps, but like maybe a little bit better. That kind of idea. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, and we get one of those classic King Gizzard 10-minute offerings right at the start of the album with Crumbling Castle hardcore banger um 
part. And, you know, there's also just some interesting instrumentation here. Like there's some um, harmonica at one point in the album. Um, so, you know, King is really stepping into the pocket on this. Um, it also, <clears throat> when I picked this album, I did not know kind of the deal with the name, um, but it's kind of like a mix between Polygon and Gondwana land, which was like a, before Pangea became one, it was like separate land masses, which I did not know. And Paul, uh, Gondwana land is one of those things. So I don't know, just a great record. Love it. Um, so the next one we have on our list is KG. Brady was going to talk about that one. Um, Are we skipping so straight to KG? We've, we've skipped over th three here, but if we want to say like short little things about them, you can. There's gumboot soup, fishing for fishies, and infest the rat's nest in between Polygon and Wonderland and KG. I will say, Henry, if you liked the harmonica from, well, if anybody liked the harmonica from Polygon to Wanna Land, Fishing for Fishies will be your jam. Hell yeah. I actually yeah. haven't listened to that album a ton, but it's, I should go check it out. It's really good. Fishing for Fishies, Boogeyman Sam, uh, Plastic Boogie, Psy Boogie. Those are important Giz songs. Yeah. Yeah, Boogie See, this is a boogie album. I would recommend if this is this is where we're this is where we're really gonna dif differ because I don't care for that record at all. Bruh. <laughs> this was boogie the first one that banger. came out. Sketches of Brunswick East came out, and I was like, eh, I'm not so sure. Right, but then Polygon Dwindland, fucking great record. Love the polyrhythms, love everything about that record. Fantastic. Gumboot Soup's the miscellaneous one at the end of 2017. They whatever, right? They wrote five records that year. This, you know, the fifth one they sort of cheated out. You know, here's all the ones we threw away. And you can kind of hear where they got trimmed from. Um, the only real standout here on this one is Great Chain of Being, which we're gonna get uh and a the lot wheel more of on Infestarsness. The wheels on that one too, isn't it? Yeah. Um yeah, that's a decent muddy one. water. That's also on gumboot soup. Yeah. That was a that was definitely a microtonal banana trim, right? They figured one song about water's enough. We don't need to. Um, Fishing for fishies. This record came out, and I was super disappointed. I don't I don't click with this one at all. It didn't click what, with me. What at am first, I missing? What am I not? I don't. I d it took seeing it live, honestly, like seeing Ambrose go off on the harmonica. I don't know. I've never shaked my ass more than at a Gizzard concert. <laughs> and these songs really did it for me. Um, Psy Boogie is still not really my jam, but really everything else on that record. Boogie I, Man Sam slaps live. It does. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's what it took. It wasn't my favorite album for a long time either. So <laughs> seek out a live version of Boogie Man Sam. They're that's coming to Chicago, the Salt Shed. Maybe I'll see you there. I should get a ticket for that. It's sold yeah. out, but I bet you can find some. No, I can find I can find yeah. one. So you weren't feeling fishy fishing for fishies when it came out. Uh, I'm no. guessing you had a different opinion when later that year we received Infest the Rat's Nest. Fuck yeah, I did. One of I, I heard Great Chain of Being and I'm like, damn, I wish there was some more of this. Yeah. And then I got it. <laughs> one of the crown jewels of the Giz discography, to my mind. Yeah. This is a gimmick, this this is a gimmick record again, right? They said, yeah, this one's heavy. 
What if we did thrash for an album? Yeah, what if we did a thrash metal record? That's my go-to album, or one of my go-to albums when I'm angry. Like, I it's really fucking good. (laughs) It's not right. They're not doing anything innovative uh, in the space, but it's just it's it's they did it, man. It's good. No, I mean, Stu literally came out in a Metallica shirt. He was wearing a Metallica shirt when we saw him right after this came out. (laughs) Organ farmer, perihelion, self-immolate. Fuck. Mars for the rich. Yeah. This, some classics. This, album, this album has some very, I think, uh digestible themes in it. Right? Not, not very subtle. This is it's like, it. hey, if it wasn't obvious to you before, we're we care about environmentalism. Okay, so we'll go KG then. It's all you, uh, Brady. Yeah, KG. Uh they went back to microtones. Uh, oh yeah they were like you know last time was pretty good uh, at least moderately successful we we roped a bunch of people in with Nonagon and then we gave them something they never heard before give it a few years a lot of experience uh, writing performing and they, they did it again and to my mind they were very successful I actually really like KG it's uh, probably my number three from the band um I think in comparison to flying microtonal banana, I think one, I think the most major difference between that and KG is that KG uh, will say is a lot less uh, consistent tonally, um, which personally I like that about it, but I can see how it might, not be a selling point for for people who were particularly in love with some of their past stuff where they have a sort of musical theme that holds throughout the whole thing but this feels like they rather than picking an idea and varying on it for 40 minutes they instead had 10 different ideas in this album so i guess maybe nine different ideas kglw on the start of this doesn't truly count as a song i think it's uh mostly just borrows melodies and ideas from microtonal banana maybe you know give you a little bit of a taste of the palette you get a familiar wind blowing uh if you've listened to rattlesnake as many times as some of us may have um and i think the melody it's not uh exactly identical but i think it's reminiscent of billabong valley um Automation, minimum brain size, I think, are fairly straightforward, just like rock songs, uh, except with microtones. Personally, that's probably the weak point of the album. Straws in the Wind is when they get cool with it. Uh, Just a guitar and just Ambrose singing. Straws in the Wind, is it all melting? And then a guitar riff amounts to... It's like, I don't... It doesn't make much sense, but you listen to it long enough and you start to feel the vibe. Um, I think some of us into ontology, into intrasport is where they give you some of that classic uh, giz uh, medley flavor. The transitions are really good. And each song, like while segueing from one to the next, each have their own flavor, uh, ultimately ending in like a very Turkish psych flavored, like almost disco song and intrasport. 
uh, it's a fun one. They uh, Intrasport is a banger. That's the best song it, on the album <laughs> to me. It bops. Yeah. Um, yeah, just I guess the theme of this album, I think, is taking microtones and doing a bunch of different things with them rather than variations on the same idea. Uh, Honey also pulls back and gets acoustic again. It's much more lyrically driven than Giz typically is. Hungry Wolf of Fate is uh, calling on, I know Henry nodded at stoner metal. They they kind of do that again. They, they let some sludge out. They said, hey man, have you heard sleep? <laughs> <laughs> right. Have you heard sleep? Oh, it, you got turned off by the fact that you had to listen for 35 minutes for them to do anything? How about you put on Hungry Wolf of Fate? This would honestly be up there with paper mache. Like if if I knew what music someone listened to, like this could be like replace paper mache. If you're trying to get into King Giz, I might recommend KG over paper mache, possibly. I feel like this one's an easier listen than a lot of the other albums. Nikki, what is this video? It's a good sampler platter too. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, more of the songs feel more distinct on this album than I think they often do. And I think I that's, I think that's a point in its favor. For sure. I think there's a lot of sleepers on this one. I I don't I don't I don't think it's in different sonic territory than anything that they'd done up until this point, right? I think there's a lot of um, the sort of nonagon, microtonal, banana revisited stuff coming ideas. up. Revisited. But I, I think these songs, right, and, you know, some more acoustic stuff with, like, with Honey, but I think these are much better executed, quite honestly, than a lot of the earlier catalog. Um, none of this on the records, either this one or the next one, KG and LW both grabbed me at the time because I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I... Yeah, I get this. I get it. <laughs> like, you know, I know exactly what this is. Oh, yeah, it's like microtonal banana, but more. It's like, you know, uh, not a gun, but more. But in hindsight, mm-hmm. I, I do think that these are quite well put together. And I think maybe the real pragmatism of these two records is it very much deepened their live catalog. Right. I mean, if you're going to bother bringing uh, an instrument with extra frets on it on stage that you can play some songs and you only have. 10 songs, maybe six of which are ever appropriate to play um, live. Hey, let's get some more microtonal stuff in there, right? Like, you know, let's find some ways to like clip these songs into the rest and I'll save all my live gizzard thoughts for later, but that's kind of the lens I've found myself looking at these two through. It's they're better songwriters than they were five years prior before they made, you know, like five, six, seven records and they've really cut their teeth and now they're sort of coming back and deepening their catalog. Yeah, you can tell that they're, uh, as you said, revisiting ideas, but with a lot more experience. Yeah, they're significantly better musicians than they were. These guys are a tight band. I don't know. I'll save this for life, but these guys are very fucking tight. Like, they've always been, I think, you know, quite decent, but like, they're, they're very, very, very capable by this point. I, uh, I'll have one uh supplementary point to this since i don't believe we had uh the album lw on the docket to talk about here uh so just to give a quick nod to that 
pretty much the extent that I have to say about it right now is that the long version of KGLW off of LW, fucking incredible live. Oh, we'll get to it. And that's <laughs> a great segue into the next one, which is the live album that Harlow was going to talk about, live in San Francisco, 16. Is that one? Okay. Let that's me... next, so go for it. Let me suss something out here because if we get into live gizzard, this is this is the this is a bag to unpack. Um, does anyone have sort of thoughts at the next you know butterfly on? Do you want to go? That are the, substantial. We might we might want to scoot. We can circle gizzard. back. So um, <laughs> I picked butterfly. I didn't have time to put together a whole lot of notes on it, but. Um, I think something that we were talking about earlier is like how there's a lot of different openings for people to get into King Gizzard, but yeah, I have to say up until this like decision to do this podcast, basically Rattlesnake and like the meme of King Gizzard had more appeal to me than the actual music. Like I, I, I tried listening to a lot of the different albums and it was just too intense and jarring for me. Like I'm my oh, favorite yeah. genre is like dream pop, you know, all days like light stuff. And then Butterfly 3000 came came out and when I was researching albums of like which one will be the best for me to talk about because I want to talk about something even though this isn't like my favorite band um that was the one that's like it's actually like a dream pop synthy album and I actually really liked it so this is my favorite King Gizzard album and if if you're into dream pop or like lighter stuff and you think that they're too intense for you this is what I would suggest you start with um or the, maybe the only thing that you listen to is from then because it's it's the only one that's really like that. Um, but it was recorded during the pandemic, which is really interesting. I, I wonder if like that had that had anything to do with the choice of making it kind of a lighter, less harsh sound. Um, I don't know, but I, I really enjoyed listening to it. So that's kind of all I had to say about it. <laughs> um, and then the, the, other, the only other one we were going to talk about was the Omnium Gatherum, which was Nikki. Yeah, um, I'll try to really convince myself here too. Um, so just some initial things that I didn't know about the album before reading into it. Um, Omnium Gatherum is Latin for a collection of miscellaneous people or things. So this is another kind of odds and ends album. That shows. Um, what do you yeah. know? It, it's like a gift <laughs> greatest hits album, but it's all new stuff. And that's kind of what I like about it is... I get to go through every little bit that I like about them in one album, plus some 90s rap from Ambrose for some reason. That one's Sadie Sorceress. I love it. So that's actually the song where Ambrose's grandma is doing the Sadie Sorceress lines. Really? Ambrose loves his family and it shows. (laughs) Um, So this was actually the first album that so in their own words, all six gizzards had gotten together um, since lockdown. Um, it is also oh. the longest studio recording they've ever released. And Stu said it's significant to them because it's going to change the way that they write and record music, at least for a while. Um, so this is another turning point album for them. So it was actually a really good listen directly after I'm in your mind fuzz too. Um, they call it their white album to link themselves to the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
yeah, so the, the album kicks off with Dripping Tap, which again, very similar to I'm in Your Mind Fuzz. A saga. This is a saga. This is like buckle in. <laughs> this is like 16 <laughs> minutes long. Um, I, I think to really sum it up, like my favorite part of the part of the song is really in the middle of it. Um, it feels like a canon to me, which if anybody doesn't know what that is, that's when um, I'm trying to think like Fleet Foxes does this where they're like, I was following the guy. It's, was it's following. phase music. It's phase music. Yeah. You have you have multiple yeah. parts in different harmony ranges simming the same yeah. melody and they follow each other in phase. Yeah. That's that's what they're doing in the middle. They'll be like, drip, drip on the tap, don't slip on the drip. And then they add guitar, more harmony, <laughs> more layers under it. Um, and it's again like one of those, like you really have to each listen, you have to pick some line that you want to follow to really get all the details. Um yeah, it, it feels like they're coming back to the themes that they had from I'm in your mind fuzz, but way more polished way more tools under their belts oh, yeah. and they're they're excited to be there and you can feel it um like everything from this album when we saw them live were my favorite tracks from them they just seemed like so stoked to be there um they opened the concert with dripping tap and yeah. it was incredible uh elevated that song to a whole new level in my in my eyes like throughout the the whole 18 minute affair when they get to the parts like the drip and tap well the whole band is playing like seeing all three of them singing that at the same time like something moved something clicked in my lizard brain i was like <laughs> this is a rock show right here it might have been all the weed around us too and his lizard brain yeah, around his lizard brain. Us. and his gizzard brain <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We were sitting right in front of the lizard wizard himself. Somebody dressed up as they cast a spell on you, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to listen to this album. I honestly haven't gone through this. I need to. I'm definitely excited to go through it now, though. Yeah, it's a it's a long haul, but I think it's it's honestly one of my favorite Giz albums. Um, I don't know if it's the best one that they put out last year. I think Ice Death um is probably better um more cohesive but my favorite songs are on this one um Gaia is my new favorite Giz track ever whenever the opening riff comes on I just like want to do the Shrek roar I'm like I'm so (laughs) stoked about it like I get so excited it makes me feel like a queen listening to it I feel so powerful um <laughs> the drum solo in the middle just before Stu comes back to say, I am Gaia. That slaps. <laughs> when they did it Let's live, go. the drum solo was like 10 straight oh. minutes long. Holy yeah. shit. Oh, okay. This Wait, is which, which this one is drum good though? A time as to get into the live gizzard is anyway. So I have a very important question right off the bat for you. Are you telling me that the King Gizzard now incorporates 10 minutes of instrumental drums into their live set? Yes. Uh huh. <laughs> I think you need to get a, a ticket oh, to that show. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, so, some other thoughts before going on, I guess. Magenta Mountain is very radio accessible. Um, it feels kind of like Yay Sayer, early 2010s indie music. Um, Kepler 2022B, 20, 20, um, 
kind of calls back, I think, to sketches, um, mainly dissonance in heavier jazz. Um, this is another one where they sampled from, and uh, I think it's Barry McCall, Yamaya One. Um, they straight sampled him, um, starting right at the beginning. Um, it's just a little bit of a piano riff. Wait, I haven't heard this. I'll send it to you. I, I won't go into it um, too much. Uh, Evilest Man, that is about Rupert Murdoch, which is kind of like, who is that? Explicitly? Yeah, it's about, it's, Rupert it's about wow, him. Got... <laughs> Murdochian, they literally say that in the song. Um, and the beginning of it is kind of like the don't hug me, I'm scared video. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's very like, it's super on the nose. Um, look up the lyrics for it. It's straight up about him. And it kind of sounds a little bit like songs from the big chair by Tears for Fears as you get into it a bit more. Um, yeah, I, I think those are all my major thoughts on it. So now we can transition over to the live stuff. Live gizzard. It's very, the fact that you said, uh, well, I guess let, let us let us be our, our, our in-way here. Nikki and Brady, you've both seen Gizzard live. Uh, Jason, Henry, Karina. I, I don't know if you've had a chance to see this band. Sadly, no. Don't know. Sorry, I was distracted looking at a squirrel <laughs> out the window that was cleaning itself. It was like cleaning <laughs> off its little tail. Is it, snowing? is it snowing where you are? It is. Yeah, I woke up to some snow. Yeah, same here. Yeah, man, they look, they look cold out there today. Blustery. Anyway, shout out squirrels. <laughs> shout out squirrels. Yeah, best set. Uh, nope, best backyard mammal. Except I agree. Yeah. Our mars marsupials are mammals, though, right? Wait, am I stupid? Yeah, no, they are. Right? They're a type of mammal, aren't they? Yeah. They're a type uh, of mammal. I don't are. know if they're a marsupial. <laughs> I, I had to Google it, but yes, they are. Man, I had this big fucking possum in my yard the other day. It rocked. That's maybe the best backyard Sounds mammal, but badass. I think squirrels. I think squirrels are a strong second. I had a standoff with a possum on the trail the other day. I thought he was rabid, but he was just playing. <laughs> no, that's what they. No, they're they're big babies. That's just what they yeah. do. Well, the backyard possums them, keep like all the ticks them. away. Yeah, you could stick its hand in your in it, your hand in its mouth, and it wouldn't bite you. I didn't want to scare it either. <laughs> so don't they carry rabies? Like, no. Uh, they're really? less susceptible to rabies. And... Uh, maybe not rabies. I think they do carry a variety of diseases. Uh, speaking of King Giz live in 16. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about possum <laughs> as a disease factor. Yeah, speaking of crusty. Speaking of <laughs> Infest the rat's nest. Infest the marsupial nest, dude. Speaking of crusty. So you guys, so we've, I've had a chance to see King Gizzard a few times live. And you guys have seen them more recently um, than I have. So I have a lot of thoughts on this on this band as a live band, which is kind of I wanted to to tail in this. Mm -hmm. um, I I first had a chance to see them right after Nonagon came out, and I think Flying Microtonal Banana was on the horizon. I think Rattlesnake had come out as a single, and maybe Nuclear Fusion, but I don't think the whole record was out yet. Maybe it had just come out. Um. And Where did you see them at? Was this Chicago? Yeah, I, th I think it was the, the Aragon Brawl Room. I think. 
I don't I don't remember it was <laughs> quite a few years ago at this point yeah. um and I remember they played Vomit Coffin it hadn't come out yet and nobody knew what the fuck was going on <laughs> I thought it was just fucking weird <laughs> did, did people mosh it? I feel like that's kind of a oh yeah so, yeah so so King Gizzard was very heavy in these days it was a very um I, I brought my my fiance with me you know i wanted you know, i wanted to hear the river i wanted to add some songs i wanted to hear and i was expecting you know i'm no stranger to seeing live music but this the crowd was quite rowdy it was a big mosh uh it was a lot of jostling and it, it turned her off very much she was not about it she was not about it was, i was kind of pissed to be honest right i mean i get it i, I think the the etiquette of that show would have been better but it's a good time to see that band um i got to see him again when they were touring infest the Red's Nest, and Bizarrely, the, the crowd was, I think, less moshy, but a little crustier. You it was really... like that for us, too. We saw them tour on that album in Milwaukee, and I thought we were going to be in the middle of a mosh the whole time. I wasn't super down with that. Um, but yeah, they were very tame. Very crowd. Like, everybody was into it, um, but it wasn't moshy at all. So, so maybe you can speak to this then, because when I was at that show, I felt like you, you really get a there's quite an interesting cross-section of people in that crowd. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like all, it was all age groups. I think there, there wasn't like one person in there that I was like, yeah, you look like you listen to Giz. I don't know. Every, I don't know. They, they really brought a whole lot of people together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it, they saw somebody that was like 80 years old in a Metallica shirt there <laughs> just a couple rows ahead of us. <laughs> It's definitely not the, one demographic they're pulling no. to a show. Uh, I mean, when I saw them recently, I felt like I, right, I got like the cross punks. I got like the Logan Square dudes in the beanies, right? Um, I got, you know, I got like the, you had like the young girls into indie, you had the classic rock dads, you had the Wilco dads, you had all sorts, you had like the, you know, like the, stoner metal dudes like you really see all these kind of i even like saw some like old hippies right you know you see people in tie-dye there's something for everybody in this you band really, I think that shows from like the it's a real mix it's a real mix i don't did you see any sort of evolution in that between when you saw them on rat's nest and when you saw them at red rocks because i know like a few years passed and i think maybe their audience personally no i think i think personally like i saw the band change I, I don't know Brady what your thoughts are on that but I think before the pandemic they had like they had a different stage energy than they did after the pandemic and maybe that comes from them being like just really excited to finally play at Red Rocks after a few years um so there's a difference in the band more than there was like a difference in the crowd I we saw more people like dressed up I think at Red Rocks <laughs> which was more of like, I think like an I'm in your mind fuzz <laughs> to me. Um, there are a bunch of people dressed up as crocodiles or Selena dressed up as a butterfly. Um, I, don't, I can't think of any other like really standout costumes, but the security guards were into it. <laughs> Those are, so I guess for context, you guys got to see King Gizzard at Red Rocks uh, as part of a couple sort of more unique shows that they played and built as marathon sets three hour marathon sets they took a 15 minute break in the middle and that was it yeah to, to have a video of the, i think they like debuted 
laminated denim. Yeah, they played one songs shows. off laminated denim. Did either of you guys get the like denim finals they were selling? No. Those looked the so merch cool. lines were insane. Like, they were straight up fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah, it would have been like an hour wait to get anything. The posters, people's I don't know, people were standing outside for so long waiting just to get a poster. And that's a whole other thing. But yeah, it it was a bit crazy to get anything from merch there. I, I would say I they have like I a cultish it. following, honestly. Like they're, oh, they're kind of like real. a cult classic band now. Um have you seen somebody somebody who went to one of those the the Red Rock shows, those marathon sets, which I guess the marathon set, what was it? They played, I think they played one or two nights at the Greek Theater in Berkeley, and they played the Red Rocks one. I had a ticket to that Berkeley show because I was already like, I had all sorts of plans, and then COVID happened, and I'm just like, fuck this shit. I want, you know, I I cashed it back in. Yeah. Um, You guys, you guys held out for that Red Rock show. Waited the two years. The marathon set. So somebody made like a, it's on YouTube. I'm trying to find it. I'm going to drop a link in the chat. Somebody made like a mini documentary about those Red Rock shows where they're just interviewing people like in the lot and stuff. And it's really neat. And I think. uh, It makes me wish we stuck around. We went for a walk instead of sitting in the parking lot. Well, in fairness, we had shit to figure out at that point in time. Yeah, I booked a car for the wrong time period. Fuck. That's a whole other story. God damn it! <laughs> oh no! Here, this is and discuss logistics of making it to our flight on time the following morning. Oh man! Yeah, that <laughs> travel man. Um, I had watched this, and it very much gave me the sense that the community around this band has evolved much that's really what i took away from this is that there's like all these um the sort of framing of this 20 minute video this guy put together is effectively right these are all people who bought tickets to the show and held on to them for like three plus years yeah Mm -hmm. uh and we we made it we made it work really in like a patched together way too like I had two days of vacation built up and I used those two days. We got back to Wisconsin at 10 in the morning and I went right back to work. Damn. That's, that's dead. Yeah, that sucked. That sucked a lot. <laughs> I did that once for gorillas when Connor and I saw them. I had a exam, like I had a paper to do the next day and I just stayed up all night to write it after seeing gorillas. And I swore Sometimes I would never do, do that you again. Do. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta do that. Worth, uh, worth. Phenomenal show, though. Uh, Seeing Giz here at Red Rocks playing for three fucking hours. uh, Easily one of the best concerts I've ever been to. I'd have to think harder to know whether I think it's literally my favorite I've been to, but if not, it's it's up there. Um, Yeah, everyone was really respectful. Everybody was really into it. I know like around the time we were seeing them, there was a lot coming out about people being assaulted or sexually assaulted, assaulted at shows. And I felt like at least where we were, um, it was very tame. There's just a lot of people that really wanted to be there. We were with some cool dudes. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like if you're going to Red Rocks, you can, yeah, you're not gonna be set up for failure. They've got good security and everything. It definitely seems looking looking at the just the sort of 
folks in this crowd that this dude's talking to from when I saw the band to what the crowd was like at the Red Rock show, it definitely seems to have like uh, gotten a little kinder <laughs> over the past <laughs> few years. I mean, if vomit they play vomit and it might be a different story. It didn't <laughs> look like anybody was taking like you know elbows to the head or anything, <laughs> right? It's it's it seemed to me, uh, you know, and I guess I'll just I'll use this as my jumping off point. Um, to me, this band is developing a sort of quasi Grateful Dead like following, um, and there's i don't even know where to begin right just the fact that this is a band i think king gizzard is quintessentially a live band i i don't think i think they put a you know they make an effort for the records to be good and i think that they're more successful with that uh they're successful doing that more often than they're not but first and foremost i think of king gizzard as a live band Mm -hmm. um and i think that they've they've embraced that very much moving forward I think they've gotten a lot tighter. I think that their actual, you know, ability as musicians has gotten better. I think they've gotten very creative and weaving songs in and around each other. And I think these marathon sets were sort of the the culmination of that. I mean, playing two sets in an encore, coming out, playing 90 minutes, taking a break, coming out, playing another, you know, 90 minutes and then playing an encore. And apparently with a, a 10 minute drum solo in it, I mean, that's the dead. Right. That's the dead. That's what the dead do. And the fact that you come back, you know, they play second night at the same venue, they play a totally different set, two sets, encore, that's the dead. Right. The fact, and the fact that they have an audience who is into that, right. That they're going to come out there and they're going to get performances of songs that don't sound like the record necessarily. Um, and they're kind of going to extrapolate on the ideas of these songs from their record and kind of weave them in and out of each other and play with arrangements and, you know, vamp on certain sections and play with dynamics. Um, To me, the sort of appreciation of music that I think that they've cultivated in their audience to me feels very adjacent to the dead. Um, I wish they kept the second drummer. I don't know, when did Eric Moore drop out of the band? I think right around when they really started focusing on their record label, like bringing another Australian artist. Flight got big. Yeah, yeah he big. was like, I need to spend more time managing this. I thought it was approximately around the release time of KG, but I could be I think you might be right. You might be right. For folks not in the know, the second, King Gizzard had two drummers. Um, and the second drummer, Eric Moore, also managed the band's label. And, you know, did everything on that side. And I, I just think, right, they sort of... Turns out that's that hard work. For a good time, he's not actually on the records. Um. You know, like quite humorously, Henry, as you mentioned, he's literally credited with nothing on Paper Mache Dream the latest. Is Eric Moore mm-hmm. nothing? But I think like Nonagon, um, some of those records, I don't I don't know all, but my understanding is that he's actually not playing on a lot of those records. He sort of solely was there to do the things that you can only do live with two drummers. And I think there's a long legacy of very good bands who sort of you know incorporate quite a bit of improvisation into their live performance having two drummers right the dad i mean allman said two drummers uh the ocs these days john dwyer uh rocks a uh four-piece band a power trio with two drummers right two drummers is a real thing that's you get those weird time signature <laughs> that's what you get crazy with polyrhythms i mean it's tough 
that cannot be easy to do. I mean, I'm no drummer, but that cannot be easy to do. I think that's that might drive why they sort of look at each other. Their old stage setup, they'd have both the both drummers facing each other. Yeah, they could just lock right mm-hmm. in. I've seen that video, like live videos of them playing together. It's fucking crazy. Yeah, man. So I miss the two drummers, but I think despite that, that they, they've really moved in that direction. My biggest criticism of these guys before is that they they sort of have all these trappings of like a jam band, but they're, you know, for better or worse, not a jam band, right? I think there's there's quite a bit of jam music that's just too, you know, self-indulgently noodly. Um, but for a long time, my thing about King Gizzard is that they didn't jam. They're very good musicians. They give the illusion of jamming, but they don't jam. Like if you had seen them in like very 2016, thoughtful. early 2017, if they were going to play like Head on Pill or anything, uh, you'd think that, holy shit, this band's jamming, right? No, it's very, it's choreographed. These are just well-rehearsed dudes. They're a very tight live band, but they're not improvising. Every move from A to B to C to D is rehearsed, right? And they have, you know, different songs that they'll take in and out uh, you know, of a of the set that they play, but they weren't, you know, sort of they they weren't fully improvisational. And I've been very happy to see that they've been moving increasingly that direction. That they're becoming a stronger and stronger live band. And I think that's, I think having you know one drummer makes that easier. But I think having a deep catalog, right, makes that a lot easier. You have a lot of flexibility. You have a lot of different options you can play. And really, it's it's what your audience will let you get away with. Right. If people came to the show and they're just like, I want to hear 80% of the new record and I want it to sound exactly like the record or you couldn't move tickets, then that's what they do, right? So really, I think it's it's fans of the band being you know genuine appreciators of live music that let these guys do what they're going to do. Uh, I will say, Nikki Brady, the show that you guys are at on YouTube, there's a recording yeah. of it. Uh, have, you heard, have you heard the first night? No, Red Rocks as well. I have skipped oh, around fuck. on it just to preview. Yeah, we. I I wish we could have gone to both nights because they played the yeah. stuff the first night. The re- the recordings of those Red Rock shows. There's very high quality bootlegs of both of those yeah. shows, and they're on YouTube, and they're they're very good. I'm envious. You guys were up close for that. I think you were saying you're like four. four. Yeah. Damn. Wow. Real yeah, close. Pretty- Brady did really good getting. I got so lucky. <laughs> Brady, did you have any thoughts on the two shows that we've seen? I feel like I cut you off at least once. I just wanted to make sure. So I guess to John's point, actually, uh, first time we saw them live, I thought that was a really good show. Um, that was right around the time Rat's Nest came out. That was really good. Uh, I'd probably stop my measure there. Uh, seeing them at Red Rocks easily hands down one of the best concerts I've been to in my life and it's probably going to remain there uh, in perpetuity Uh, like even in just a few years it feels like and maybe it's the atmosphere of Red Rocks and maybe it's the fact that we went there and watched them play for three hours Um, I mean we can't discount the, the impact of those things but I feel like even within the relatively short time frame between the two times we saw them, like they were a massively improved band uh, when it came to putting on a live show the second time we saw them. I hear that. I hear that totally. 100%. I agree. I'm glad that they allow bootlegging. 
they love bootlegging they i mean they sell bootleg copies on their merch store (laughs) you too yeah i mean one of their albums polygon duanaland yeah polygon duanaland they were like here's the here's the album bootleg it sell it yeah they just (laughs) gives a shit yeah they just made it public right i remember all that that's great so there's some interesting context there um not to go super deep into it just kind of surface level the collecting of records was getting very crazy with the band right about that time and copies were getting very expensive and people were like oh i've got this variant i've got that variant like it was getting like annoying and i think the band was aware of that and sensitive to it and so they sort of solved their problem by putting out a, a sort of public domain you know master cut of the record so then anybody can go and press copies and they're just as good as anybody else so that nobody could possibly collect every variation every pressing of this record yeah right and they sort of killed the possibility of like you know totality collecting and i think that was sort of an an important thing for that side of the community all these people hogging copies of eyes like this guy and saying oh five hundred dollars six hundred dollars yeah, they did that with the posters from yeah, my people just do that with, yeah, tour posters now. Fucking scalpers, yeah. man. People buying yeah. the shit and flipping it. Yeah, they were on sale for like $300 the next day. <laughs> oh, wow. man. Yeah. Um, do we have any overall final thoughts on, on King Giz? Nothing I haven't shared already. Okay. I'm diving into Omnium Gatherum for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I highly... Just going on YouTube and looking up live shows of this band is a great idea. There's a there's a show out there where the drummer got sick and they had to sort of improvise the whole set on like a drum machine as their percussion underneath their set. Their KEXP recording's really good too. Oh yeah. Um, live recordings of this band are great. Um, Nikki Brady, the fact that you clicked with what's going on the Red Rocks, I think you need to check out the dead. I'll get yeah. you into the dead. <laughs> awesome well um thank you guys all for joining us on this this journey uh it was fantastic and i think the next one that we're gonna do like this will probably be on gorillas so i'll keep you updated on that um but anyway have a good rest of your weekend and thank you so much for for joining gears for life gears for life for life head on pill of a podcast recording huh (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna be be crazy but it'll be all right